Podcasting from Studio 2520, somewhere near Akron, Ohio, live via Zencaster from the campus at Auburn University, Westerville, Ohio, and fresh from a long drive, vacating the Jacksonville, North Carolina area, and live here in the Studio 2520 Lounge. This is tackling the chicane. Straight No Chaser was all I could find for that. Jim Neighbors apparently hasn't given up the rights to his version of the song on Spotify. However, I was pleasantly surprised with that version. Um, Not bad. Fresh back from the race. Mm-hmm. And uh, much to talk about, I'm sure, right? Yeah. So this will probably be a largely Indianapolis 500 dominated episode uh because two-thirds of the podcast was there in person and then we'll also talk about the monaco gp as well as we're f1 focused show uh don't have anything on the soccer docket for this week just because uh we were busy (laughs) and you know the indy 500 was pretty much took up all of our time so We'll be back in in normal fashion in terms of that next week with the uh, Scottish Cup happening uh, and the uh, FA Cup in England as well. So, yeah, right on. Um, so I'll just let's get into it. Uh, firstly, your first trip to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, mm-hmm. uh, dubbed as the greatest racing spectacle on earth um so carb day is friday so that was your first time 
parking at the Dotlich Crane lot, <laughs> which is a 40-plus year tradition for this group that goes out there. Um, just about a block off of, I guess, would be the south side of the track. Uh, give us your first impressions of when you walk under the front stretch tunnel and then you come out on the other side. Just curious what you thought initially um i get my obviously the first impression is this place is big i mean it's kind of obvious but it's a two and a half mile track and there's grandstands surrounding 60 percent of that 70 percent of that so yeah the first thought is this is the biggest venue i probably will ever be in um you could feel i guess in a way just the the grandness of the event um my first indycar experience was at mid ohio which has you know its own charm and its own right but it's not the indianapolis 500 and I think you just feel that energy and like this is the triple crown of motorsport part of the triple crown and you can feel it when you're there. It's a huge, huge, huge event. And I told you after carb day, which is basically a glorified practice session, um, there were a ton of people there and even then the venue probably wasn't even 20% full. <laughs> so yeah, they, I was, they don't, yeah, they don't release, um, attendance numbers, but typically yeah. on a carb day, and this one was quite a bit busier than it has been in the last few, I would assume there was a hundred thousand ish people there for carb day. Yeah, uh, maybe it's hard no to say. No one in the seats to, Typically on carb day, they're kind of, you know, milling around um, lots of other things to, to do and see. Uh, practice was very fun, though. Um, mm -hmm. We were able to acquire two silver badges, which got us down on pit lane for just a few minutes. But uh, I think you, as as at Mid-Ohio, it's you're right, I mean, literally eight feet away from the pit wall. And the teams are more than gracious enough to talk to the fans. And, um, you know, we had a little conversation with one of the Malukas team members that was kind of fun. Um, but, yeah. And then Sunday, of course, and this was a very busy, busy race. Um, we got stalled about three miles outside of the track. It took us over an hour to get through that three miles on race day and every seat in the stands, there was not an empty seat in the stands and the stands will hold 200 plus mm -hmm. and then probably another 200 GA people walking around snake pit, um, you know, you name it other, other places in the, at the track to do whatever. I mean, there are people who go there and watch an EDM concert for two and a half hours. <laughs> yeah. So I, I figured, I figured out that, um, 
one of my friends kind of stumbled into a general admission ticket Friday. So he went short notice and general admission is basically you're in the infield from what I can gather and him and his friends kind of, uh, illegally climbed into the snake pit during the race so he said that was a interesting experience and again like one of the things he said was just great yeah great (laughs) but one of the things he he said was you just can't believe did you lose him too Bailey. so as i was saying one of my friends had stumbled into a a ticket and he would they climbed into the snake pit but one of the things he said was he just couldn't believe how many people were there and that's you know the, i guess the big takeaway <laughs> so <clears throat> it's interesting for me uh because i used to go to a lot of races mm-hmm. and i used to do the same thing um well, let's be honest. Some of those, some of those tickets are pretty expensive for a sixteen-year-old. But um, I just think it's funny because like nobody, people care, <laughs> and uh, tickets are tickets, and you can get them, and you should get them. Uh, I think, anyways, now as an almost thirty-year-old, but at like sixteen, seventeen, you know, you got areas that look super cool, and you're just like, I'm GA. What are they going to do? Tell me to go back to GA? Yeah. It, I'll go back, but I think it's, I, I just think it's cool because especially for younger people, um, I'm sure that was a pretty cool experience for him. So, yeah, most of the seats where you were Garrett on the front stretch are legacy seats. So yeah, these families have had these tickets for anywhere from, you know, 70 years to 40 years to 20 years. One of the things that I remember having sat in similar seats across from gasoline alley for several races in a row is watching the same family who's right in the row in front of you. They brought their kids when they were like six and then, you know, years go by and five years later, I'm back in those seats. And then those kids are 11 and 12. And then finally they're, you know, it's those seats are not, um, they're not easy to obtain and once you get a block across from gasoline alley you keep that block in your family which i think is kind of a neat thing yeah it's another i guess big takeaway is just the history of the event so um you you can also sense that obviously this was the 107th running but the Indy 500 as an event is pretty much uh, the reason F1 exists. Um, so, like, open wheel racing was kind of not invented, but popular popularized in Indianapolis. Um, and at one point, the Indy 500 was actually a an F1 event, like it was on the calendar. Yeah, for a couple of years, um, they did build a road course specifically for that. Um, I don't think they made three three years there, um, but it was a different time back in the early 2000s as well. Most people didn't care about F1 
Um, and the reason why you saw the crowd that you saw at IndyCar is because those are F1, probably new F1 fans who came to a obtainable race. G- general admission is $20. Um, the seats yeah. that you guys were in across from Gasoline Alley, 130 you know, so I mean, one thirty-five. Yeah, I mean, it's that's still very, very obtainable to most yeah. people. Got to save it, a little bucket to get there, but yeah, but it's it's one hundred and thirty-five dollars for the premier motor race, maybe in the world. I mean, you could argue maybe like Le Mans, uh, but you know what I mean. Like this is this is drivers across not just IndyCar, but F1, NASCAR, uh, IMSA, wh- whatever they want, they want to, they dream of winning the Indy 500. You know, so it's hard to overstate the importance of the event, not only to the series of IndyCar, um, but just in motorsports in general. So that's, you know, th- there's a reason the event gets 400,000 people. And of course, some of it's people just wanting to have a good time, but a lot of it has to do with you. We are blessed here in Ohio. And then of course the people of Indiana to be not very far away from arguably the best (laughs) motorsport event to ever exist. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite not one of my favorite part of the 500 is the lead up. Um, you know, there's so many traditions that happen 30 minutes out, 40 minutes out, 30, 25 minutes out. You've got, you know, traditional songs that are played back home in Indiana. God bless America. Um, there's hundreds of troops that march down the front stretch. There's flyovers. I mean, it, if you, if you don't get somewhat emotional leading up to the to the green flag of this race, um, it, it just every year, every year, it's it, it just it's goosebumps, it's tears, it's it's amazing. It, yeah, and they do a great job now on TV of capturing that, um, just because of the technology. But there's no. There's no better place to be than on that hallowed ground during those lead up moments to the to the green flag of that race. I mean, it just it's it's incredible. And I, I talk to people every year who it's their first time and, and they're just it, it's disbelief. Yeah, and you have to if you have not been to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, whether or not you're a, a huge fan of any kind of motorsport it's definitely something that everyone should see at least once. Yeah, I, I would agree. That's, that's definitely one of the things I'm most excited about for when I finally make my first appearance, uh, hopefully next year. Um, that, I mean, I've seen it on TV a bunch of times. I've seen them. I, I did one in person at the international speedway, like 2010 or something like they always have like high school ROTC kids and stuff like that. And they also have the actual military 
I never got to do one while I was in the Marines, but um, I know I know that they do a huge like Dad was saying they do a huge huge thing at the Indy, mm-hmm. and it's I I have been inundated with what it means to be patriotic for the past ten <laughs> years, yeah. and still when they do stuff like that, it uh like he said like it's emotional. Um, yeah, it's it's really good to know that you know people still care like that we were at a cruise in two hours ago and they they played the national anthem in the middle of the the cruise in and it sounds not i wouldn't say silly but it 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 was weird like i was standing there we were getting beers and i was like all right this is weird but then i turned around i looked around and there was probably like a couple hundred people there Mm -hmm. maybe more nobody was moving Um, yeah there was they had 300 and something almost 400 cars so multiply that by at least two and a half people in each car there's probably more like a thousand people there yeah um, and and nobody was moving so deadly silent and i've been out to that cruise in many times and it doesn't matter the when that first note hits those pa speakers that place goes deadly silent you know so the not to wax poetic or anything, but you know, these people, there's a lot of, of pontificators out there that are worried about the state of this country and whether or not we've lost our patriotism, but they don't, if they just looked around to the left and the right of them, they would see that that is clearly not the case, especially when you've got nearly a half a million people at a racing venue, which also goes deadly silent. For taps for the national anthem that's a half a million people you know i i always it, it always makes me feel a lot better about the state of everything when you see and there's never i have been there 21 times over 23 years and i have never witnessed one incident of you know stupidness or violence or and and there are people there of every color every nationality every you know it just it doesn't just doesn't matter right everybody's there for the same reason which is a great thing yeah racing's racing (laughs) yeah exactly i think who who can't get behind a, a 200 laps of indy cars going 230 miles an hour yeah. But uh, we should we should probably get into the actual nuts and bolts of the 500, and um, enlighten me. Yeah. Well, I'm gonna I'm going to to start with the obvious. You know, the Ray Hall debacle that happened through qualifying. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a multi-starter in Graham didn't qualify. One of his teammates was involved in an accident during practice, which actually gave him the opportunity to get into another team's car. Yeah. Which is a very difficult thing. When you spend 30 days with your race engineer in in your car, which was a Honda powered unit. And then you go, well, I have a shot at getting in this Chevy car with a new engineer. I've never sat in it before, you know, unfortunately (laughs) yeah you want to yeah tell everyone what happened (laughs) they had basically it was a no start 
for the Ray Hall car. And the rest of the field had already done the first lap. All the pace cars, parade cars came around. And the field is coming back up the front stretch. And there's 10 guys hovered around the uh, Graham Ray Hall's car trying to get it started. They ended up having to push it back into the pits, take both side pods off and the rear deck area off. And it was a battery yeah. of all things. Um, he finally gets under power two laps after green. Um, mm-hmm. At least he made the show, but yeah, didn't get what, a chance to do much after that. So. Yeah. And what was kind of uh, unfortunate is that the 24 that he was driving actually showed a lot of speed once he was up to it up to race speed. And, you know, obviously he was two laps down pretty much the entire day, but he was actually passing people or making it hard for people to pass him. So you do kind of have to wonder what would have happened had he started when he should have. Yeah. And then, you know, for, for anyone who's a IndyCar fan knows Tony Kanaan is one of the most popular drivers. Uh, He's going to retire after this year. This was his last 500. Um, So that was kind of, interesting to watch Mm -hmm. Uh, it has to be a a really odd feeling for a guy who's done this for the last 20 years and he's he's a champion uh i think two maybe canon has um i know he won in 2013 for sure he might have another one but yeah but he always had a huge following and um so this was his last 500 he ended up mid-pack i think um see what else uh, there was a few tire issues in this race some of the drivers were complaining about um, pretty harsh vibrations in the firestone tire mm-hmm. uh, saw a bunch of guys pit way earlier than they should have just to get a new set on because whatever had happened with that um, well that's that's what took too. scott dixon pretty much out of contention he yeah. complained of vibration in the tires and was quickly being passed once he made that complaint. Yeah, and it should be noted, too, that uh, Ferrucci in the Voigt car had a great day. And mm-hmm. I, when I watched the replay, I didn't realize how close this young man <laughs> racing for probably, arguably, besides Andretti, the most historical team at Indianapolis is the AJ Foyt racing team. Mm -hmm. And believe me, they have not had a car that competitive for a very, very long time. Yeah. And I mean, he led the race for a number of laps and then he, I think he fell back to third, but he, the only thing that could have made that weekend even more epic and (laughs) that they would have tore that, Friggin' place down if a Foyt car won that race. Now, he'll be back. Yeah. I hope he'll be as competitive next year as he was this year. So that's that's great for the Foyt team. AJ's got to see another one of his guys win before he kicks it because, I mean, he's close to <laughs> yeah, he's 90 years old. Great. He's not looking great. Um, what's weird is Santino Ferrucci is like, the most hated IndyCar driver at the moment. 
And I think a lot of that just stems from his driving style. I, I just see a lot of complaints online of he gets into a lot of incidents and is probably over aggressive in a lot of ways. Um, but in terms of um, I, he would have been a, a huge underdog in terms of taking that win. AJ Foyt, like you said, a historic team. Um, not really a good team, at least very recently. Maybe one of a, a, a backmarker team, to be quite honest. Um, but it, it, it was a valiant effort from Santino Ferrucci. Um, and I thought he made the race more interesting up at the front. He was aggressive, which again, people, some people don't really like, but making passes, um, just generally being hard to pass. And honestly, maybe one sort of bad pit stop away from possibly winning the Indy 500. So the last time he makes a stop, uh, a rogue tire goes uh, over the line and it slows him down by probably three or so seconds. Mm-hmm. Who knows what ha- would have happened had that been a smooth pit stop. But Santino Ferrucci definitely made the race more interesting. Um, not Go ahead. I just was going to say not that the race really needed any more interest because there was a whole shitload of stuff that happened. Yeah. And it, it didn't come on until it, as typical, you know, around the 92nd lap or something, you know, mm-hmm. things stingray Rob uh, bags it off the wall and that starts kind of a, a melee of pit stops and every, anytime there's, Stops after a caution. I'm going to breed more, more cautions. That just that's just the way it works. Um, I was, in, I didn't see a lot of this uh, being at, at the particular vantage point that I was, but uh, you know, VK and Palou Palou get into it in the pits mm-hmm. and tap each other and <laughs> and. Well, VK gets out of control coming out of the pits, so the the constant battle with the Indy car is not to dump the clutch when you're leaving pit road. So you'll you'll see it any broadcast when they go out slam on the accelerator. Uh, Here's a challenge: there, you have to be at probably six or seven thousand RPM to get yeah, that yeah. clutch to dump without stalling the car. So if you watch the exits out of the box, they're always like wheel spinning exits. Yeah, yeah. Because you can't. There's you, you don't just ease out. Yeah, their you cars can. aren't set up that way. <laughs> That's it just just so happened that he got a little little overzealous, I think, on the throttle. Mm-hmm. That's that, that's pretty that's interesting. Pretty... I didn't know that. Yeah, it's seven seventy two hundred RPMs is what my car is limited at. Right. So well, that's pretty uh, crazy. So on a on a when they're all out on IMS, they're probably at about eleven thousand RPM, wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so 
there's an IndyCar race Saturday or no Sunday in Detroit. If you guys watch it in Bailey, if you pay attention to the pit stops, you'll see that every time tire spin. Oh yeah. I've seen it for sure. Yeah. I just thought they were kind of being no. Well, yeah, you kind of think maybe they're yeah, just being douchey or whatever. But no, that's like trying to get out of there quick. Whatever. I I just didn't know that seven thousand just to just to slip it into first. That's crazy. Yeah, I mean you'll see slipping. I guess yeah, like that. Even the best of the best in the series from time to time will stall coming out because they didn't reach the proper RPM to well and the. The clutch is a is a hand clutch, so it's it's very tricky. I mean, just imagine those of us who have had many many years of driving manual transmissions. A foot clutch is completely different than a hand clutch. I mean, that's what makes it difficult. And these are sequential gearboxes, so the clutch is used just for start. And you pull it in when you come to a stop. You when you're yeah, then it's gears, flat foot shift in the whole yeah, way. You're just banging gears, so you're really only on that clutch. You know, twenty percent of the time when you leave the pit, when you when you start the race, when you come into the pit. Um. So it it's it, it's tricky. It's the the cars are not easy to to drive. There's no question about it, and. Um, you're seeing constant adjustments too, even lap by lap by lap. You're watching guys um, use what they call a weight jacker that changes, you know, how much downforce on the left front tire versus the right front tire, and they're constant adjustments every lap. So it's not it's not just get in and you know turn left for two and a half hours. There there are things happening in these cars that. The, the lay person uh, probably doesn't really realize how difficult these things are to pilot for sure that that the hand clutch might be might make for a good uh comeback of the box box segment <laughs> one day yeah i'm sure the f1 cars are somewhat similar surely um, you could it's reprise a, that role I, I, next week <laughs> Yeah, well, we kind of had an impromptu one just there anyways. But yeah, the, the source of all that discussion was right after the first yellow flag from Stingray Rob, uh, Renus VK is coming out of the pits, your race leader, by the way. Uh, and he's right behind Alex Pelot, who's in second in one pole. Pelot comes out, and then Renus VK, you see him, Spin tire, smoke, come out, and then just lose it, veer into Polo, puts him in the wall. He kind of, VK kind of bangs off of him and then keeps going, but he would eventually have to do a drive-through penalty uh, because, you know, he crashed into a guy in pit road. So that honestly derailed both Polo's race and VK, although Polo actually does well to finish fourth but that was after how many wrecks towards the end. But that definitely ruined both drivers' chances of winning. So, um... Yeah, so the, the end of this race is what dominated the headlines. So the first red flag comes justifiably so. Felix Rosenquist, the race leader, 
kind of gets into the marbles, spins out, and as he comes back up the track towards the wall, out of control, his car clips Kyle Kirkwood in a way where Kirkwood's left rear flies off the car, literally, over the, the catch fence, the, the tire. So the tire comes off, goes over the catch fence, nearly, I mean, I don't a few feet away from fans, like, dying, nearly hit, uh, hits the grandstand and then goes in a parking lot and smashes a car. But luckily, that was the best-case scenario. Yeah, 50-pound tire at <laughs> a couple hundred miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, that would have killed someone. And, yeah. Yeah, so we were feet away from people actually dying, which is not good. And that seems to be kind of glossed over by the more casual, let's be real, the people that only watch or only go to Indy and then forget about IndyCar for a year. So that that is very concerning. Well, so that, uh, there's a tether. There's yeah. a tether on the wheel, but apparently the way this particular contact happened, it severed the tether which I have never seen. Usually the, those work really well. Mm -hmm. um, but as you said, the miracle was this thing took off like a rocket and it went sort of, it went over several hundred people and then outside of the track, it actually hit a parked car Yeah, in the parking lot, like dead nuts on the windshield. So they had, obviously they had people there immediately, but, you know, contact Andy for your rebate, your cash well, imagine, rebate. Imagine being there in the '60s. How much shit happened during a race, and how much mm -hmm. riskier it would be. That was dangerous yeah, was, to be there. There wasn't a whole ton of catch fence back then. First of all, yeah, no so, safer barriers either no for the drivers. Barriers. Yeah, but yeah, when I saw it on TV, it was a lot more. Um, dramatic's not the right word but it was i was like oh shit <laughs> yeah well you just had a better sense of how vicious the wreck was i mean right, right you you can you can go in and look at all types of racing any race drag race circuit f1 nascar in the history of the races that that happens um mm -hmm. and you see it a lot in drag races because the safety is just not there because sometimes you're at like a strip that's like in the middle of nowhere or whatever but i've seen youtube videos of people losing and these tie like we we're talking about it today these tires weigh 40 or 50 pounds at 200 miles an hour and if that hits a crowd it's not like one guy or woman it's one person it's no, no you're taking out a lot of people and there's you don't survive a hit at 200 miles an hour from a 50, uh, 50 pound object. So, yeah. I, I mean, like you said, there's this, the, the safety is in place. Those lanyards, uh, they work. I'm sure they're rated for ridiculous amounts of tension of tensile tension, but like, I, I can't say there like, there has to be like a press release or, maybe even in the future, some sort of like 
safety advisory or something yeah some logistical or like administrative there's either going to be an administrative thing that's put into place or possibly more uh safety r&d i don't know i think they're already there clearly this is the safest time to watch any motorsport comparable oh for sure and all you need to do is is google f1 historical crashes where they you know, they killed decapitate people. people. Um, yeah, but but Indy IndyCar has of the main series probably the the worst track record and driver safety. Um, eight years ago, Josh was it Justin Wilson died. Of course, this is pre aero screen from uh, uh, what do you call it? Debris striking his head. Then you had uh, Dan Weldon. Uh, died at Las Vegas in 2011. So it's not like it's ancient history that people were dying <laughs> in IndyCar. The cars from 2011 to 2023. Yeah, they're a lot. Uh, they're a lot safer. Who who flipped their li- on their lid? Kyle Kirkwood. Right, and so they actually, which is the greatest thing about IndyCar versus F1 is. They showed his in-car camera mm-hmm. as he was sliding down the track upside down. And because of that halo, that that bar, that system, he just tucked in and he basically got out of the car. He was fine. Yeah. That wouldn't have happened even 10 years ago. You know, those mm-hmm. were everybody was wide open. They wouldn't have been no, showing that camera. That's for sure. No, he, he. I don't know if he would have walked away from it. So, you you can go back through the eighties and the seventies, and there were horrific things that happened. But that is, that's part of the gig, man. You can't you you don't drive two hundred and thirty four miles an hour without the potential of some shit going down. Yeah. Fun f- quick fun fact. <clears throat> 74 individuals have died uh, related to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. 42 drivers, one motorcyclist, 13 riding mechanics, and 18 others. A pit crew member, track personnel, spectators have sustained fatal injuries or have had uh, fatal medical conditions. 74 just in relation to the 500. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I buy that all day. I mean, it's a hundred plus years year old race. And that's the, I mean, that's not bad odds when you consider how many people are there. I'm just saying majority's drivers. Apparently somebody might've been driving by on a motorcycle, a couple mechanics, and then like 18 spectators or pit crew members accidents yeah well there's a lot of risk involved with speed so that speed for sure so after that red flag it became a battle between uh the two mclaren well i guess rosenquist was gone pato award um in marcus erickson joseph newgarden was in first at this point um and uh, Pato Award tries to 
dive into the inside of Erickson. Erickson closes him down, uh, and which basically causes Award to spin out. He crashes out, and there goes McLaren's hopes of winning the race after what was looking to be quite favorable for them. Um, and yet another red flag. Again, it was a, a pretty violent crash from Award, but I don't know. Red flag? It, it, that's when I realized, okay, we're, every incident that's happening from now on will get a red flag because they are literally refusing to finish under a caution. Yeah, and even the commentators on the broadcast didn't think that that last incident was going to, that, that they were going to flag red. They thought, well, we're, we're going to finish under caution. Yeah. Um, but they probably have realized that most fans would rather them stop the race and then just have a sprint. So. Mm, I think most of the fans that were there, and I don't want to sound gatekeepy or like I'm on this moral high ground, but 75% of the people there don't give a single fuck about IndyCar as a series and would rather the see the race finish under green and like you know, get your get your money's worth or whatever. Yeah. When we saw every time they restarted, there was a crash. And every time there is a crash, you are risking the safety of the driver. So it's like, especially the last one. Benjamin Peterson, uh, Ed Carpenter, crash right in front of the start-finish line. The cars have to go through the wreck, the, the carnage, to keep going. And then with two laps left, they throw the red flag. So now you're putting, the, you're putting a scenario into place where the only way you can finish under green is by doing one lap behind the, the pace car and then a one-lap shootout, which mm -hmm. is what happened, which... I don't know about you guys, but that feels a bit more like NASCAR than IndyCar. Possibly. Yeah. I, I'm kind of indifferent. Um, I think they're trying to make it as competitive as they can. And as I said, I've watched parade laps for as they clean up the track under caution with 15 to go and just watch cars go around for 15 laps, knowing that, you know, this guy's going to take the milk mm -hmm. because he was in the right spot at the right time, which is fine too, because the whole deal with this race is positioning yourself to be at the, front of the pack whatever it takes well so i mean and let's not i don't want to discount the fact that in those situations when somebody crashes at 200 plus miles an hour getting yourself into the right spot 
before the caution flag waves isn't like, oh, I'll just squeeze in here. Like, it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of luck, but it's also a lot of, I mean, you have to know what you're doing. I mean, there's some intuition there, some skill involved in not crashing, watching everybody around you. Like, there's a lot going on when something like that happens. Yeah. Of course, you so, could just get super lucky. So, regardless, um, that was basically the 500, right? Well, so. uh, of course, we had Joseph Newgarden make a pass on turn two to win the race with the yeah. last lap to go. Marcus Erickson, I, I think Joseph Newgarden deserved to win because he was actually in first on the second to last red flag. And then after that, they deemed Erickson to be ahead. So I think we got the rightful winner. It is a little unlucky for Erickson just because with one lap to go, IndyCar basically invented new procedure to make the race finish on green. And tires are not up to temperature after one lap behind the pace car. And, you know, there's just a lot of variables. But I, not to take away from Joseph Newgarden, who instantly had one of the most iconic celebrations he this was his first 500 win he's a two-time series champion but first time winning the big one and he parks his car and then goes into the crowd to celebrate which was really cool um and i think definitely a driver that deserves to to win the 500 sort of a the fate one of the main faces of IndyCar for a long time now. Yeah, it's it's always interesting to, to see, you know, because you've got, you know, four-time winners who were not competitive during this particular race. And, I'm, mm -hmm. you know, and then you've got guys like Sato who are really fast, and he's, I think he's a two-time winner of the 500 but just couldn't put all the pieces together yeah um and castor nevis again a four-time winner just yeah. had no pace seemed yeah. like he had very that, little pace. that meyer shank team has been terrible all year yeah so that that tells you a lot too about you know you put a butt in a seat but if the car isn't if, yeah, I mean, Santino Ferrucci is a prime example. Uh, he He's not by no means uh, an all-star in IndyCar, and that car isn't either, but they got the setup right for the 500. Yep. So instantly he, was, he became a contender. One of the things I think is interesting is, you know, there should be a lot more accolades for him taking three on the podium. Uh -huh. But it's always, you know, the champion is the champion and second is the first loser. So, yeah. But. Yeah. But in terms of the actual IndyCar championship, this actually ends up being a, a decent day for Alex Pillow, the series leader. Because, of, co of course, he would have wanted to win. But after he gets slammed into the pit wall, finishing fourth isn't too bad. And he keeps that top spot 
um, in the series. And uh, Joseph Newgarden becomes the first uh, driver to win more than one race this season. He also won at Texas, so we'll see. Uh, the IndyCar season has been a lot of fun so far and continues uh, Sunday in Detroit. Should be pretty interesting. Yeah, it's going to be really fun to watch. This is the first GP in Detroit where they're running on the city streets of Detroit versus Belle Isle, which is a small island just off the shores of, you know, the river there. Mm -hmm. um, and it used to be a two-day. It was a, a double race, which I don't think this one is going no, to be. It's not. Um, it'll be fun for me because I'm going – I'll be in Detroit on uh, Tuesday. So I want to see how much of it – I assume it's all going to be gone by that point. Yeah. Uh, you know, barriers and – I always I marvel at the fact that you can build a track in a city and then tear it down. <laughs> yeah, that will be interesting. Yeah, so we'll see. Yeah. yeah. Well, I guess we should move on to uh, the Monaco Grand Prix in F1 and uh, maybe <laughs> won't be our most in-depth analysis just because we didn't actually watch the the whole race because we were at the 500 but uh i know you caught sort of a an abridged version i watched the highlights and then of course i read up on a bunch of stuff too so what were your initial takeaways obviously max verstappen wins by 28 seconds what we do uh basically which we which we already said last week qualifying is much more important because it kind of determines exactly how the race is going to finish yeah, qualifying it, was really interesting i was surprised with the weather that came yeah. in the the rain really i really thought the rain was going to mix the field up and even with the rain and the challenge of tire selection during the rain, and we, it was so funny because, you know, these the drivers are just, they're like, uh, this is shit. I can't, yeah. you know, they can't, barely can drive the car. Whenever there's wet conditions, you can't be on any kind of slick tire. Yeah. And I'm watching all kinds of shit happen, you know people are missing corners and they're spinning and they're, you know, doing one eighties basically. And then by some miracle, it ends up being the same fucking positions as well. <laughs> let me give it to you completely fucking straight. It's because they shouldn't be racing there because the track is about as wide as the room I'm sitting in, which is probably 15 feet. <laughs> uh, there is very little places you can actually execute an overtake in Monaco with the size of these cars. It's actually a clown show. It well, is a parade. The, I agree. The, the car has gotten so long. Mm-hmm. Right, so you saw that in the first lap, the hairpin. Did they you see barely, Logan Sargent? 
Yeah, they can barely even turn through the hairpin because the car is so long. Yeah. And I, don't... I know they're, they're never going to stop going to Monaco, but maybe they need to figure out a better course. Or I don't, I mean, <laughs> something's got to change. It's a... The product is terrible. The, the reason why they still race there is the reason why they still race a lot of places. It's, you can't see, I'm air quoting, it's historical. It's, it's, I don't know why people rave about this race. It's one of the most, like, you could not watch F1 at all, and you know that F1 races at Monaco. Is mm-hmm. in a damn Marvel movie, like, five yeah. times. It's part <laughs> like, of the, the, the triple crown of motorsports. Right. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, like you said, I mean, cars used to be a little bit shorter. A lot a bit shorter. A lot a bit, <laughs> a lot a bit shorter. Which probably and and you know you might be able to tell me more about that, but like it probably changed the way the race was ran a lot in those corners. But still, the width of the track hasn't changed much. Oh, no. Like the stewards still have the audacity to start doing reviews on contact when there's no room. Yeah. There's so, no, nothing, no, how, how wide are these cars? They're wide. They're very wide, and they're long. They're a very long wheelbase. They are large cars. Uh, at one point, I don't remember if it was the first lap or later in the race on the hairpin, Logan Sargent literally comes to a stop because he can't go forward. We are supposed to be racing cars. Where and what? fucking scenario in a race do you think it's a great thing to see when a guy can't move he has to stop so here we go i got some quick facts for you all right uh fun fact the typical family car is 4.6 meters long and 1.8 meters wide typical Mm -hmm. sedan an f1 car is 5.5 meters long yeah. That is 17 feet ish. That's yeah. rough math, but you know it's it's long and it's 2 meters wide. So yeah. for those of you who don't do meters very well, um <laughs> the average road width lane width is 6 feet. That car is 6 feet wide. It's like as wide as a semi truck would be. It's, it's like trying to, it's, it's a 200 mile plus mile per hour race car. That's the size of a pickup truck, but really, really low and really, really light. Now, if the track is only 15 feet wide and each car is six feet wide (laughs) and you have to pick a line, a line, right? If you're next to each other, that's 12 feet. That gives you three feet in the middle and on the left and right sides to to try and make something happen that's crazy so we watched the bit one of the big kind of stories of this race was the battle between carlos Sainz and esteban ocon and just from the highlights i saw there are four or five times where carlos tries to make passes in like the same parts of the track and he just can't because there's literally no room like that we know how meticulous F1 races are. Like you, lit- overtakes develop over time. It's not like a thing you just do <laughs> right away. 
he just could not pull it off. And he, we know the Ferrari is faster than the Alpine, but he can't actually pass him because there's literally no room. And the the I think the shining moment of this race had nothing to do with real. Well, I guess not, it did have something to do with on track, but so basically. Signs in Ferrari are like trying to uh, overcut Ocon in pit lane, so basically try to come out uh, after him and like overtake him as they come out of the pits. Um, basically, just pit basic pit strategy. He comes out and Ocon flies by, so <laughs> Signs is pissed because he's been trying to pass him for fifty laps or whatever. And he, he radios, and his race engineer goes, it's okay, Carlos, we wanted you just to cover Hamilton anyways. Hamilton was behind him. And Carlos goes, I don't give a, I don't give a shit about Hamilton. I, I, all, all I care about is uh, Ocon. Yeah, it's... Sorry, knocked out my mic. But he said, all I, all I care about is passing Ocon. It's like, I don't, I'm not worried about that scrub behind me. This guy yeah. in front of me is bad, and I can't pass him because the track's only as wide as two cars. So if you're wondering if the Ferrari shit show is continuing into 2023, uh, yes. Yes, it is. Clearly. Nobody's surprised by that. I'm not. And, I mean, we remain hopeful. <laughs> we do, and... I guess, you know, if you go to standings driver wise, there is a hundred and no, let me see. One has 144 points. Perez has 105. So, what, 39 points between them? And then Alonso has 93. Alonso is, he's, he's close. he is single handedly making this year interesting yeah. um, he, he's one dub away from being in second place if he gets a win at, at any time this year i mean social media will combust upon oh, itself if, because if he gets a win that would be epic yeah he's gonna throw perez a big curveball so perez crashed out of qualifying which means he started 20th and it's Monaco, so you're not going to battle your way up the field. And he was banging into every car he could. Um, but a lot of nose changes in this race. Yes, a whole it's lot of contact great. because there's nowhere to go. Right. I think uh, I don't know. It's weird. Maybe it's just me because I've been I've been kind of out of the game for a couple weeks now. Uh, Lewis, Lewis Hamilton at 69 points, and we're talking about potential. And he is, in the past couple of years, been... I mean, he's been exactly where he is right now. Um, but if he if he, if he he pulls off a, a two-spot or a one-spot, um, he's, he's far behind the leader, obviously, being Verstappen. But, like, the, the two, three spots are pretty close, and he's only... 20 points behind third. Yeah. So, so he's one, he's one wild, fantastic race away from, from being right there as well for Mercedes. And, and we know he's a good driver, mm -hmm. 
right? Mer- Mercedes just released their new side pod update, which seemed to go pretty well. Fourth and fifth at Monaco, I believe. Um, they had a better points day than Aston Martin because Lance Stroll is Lance Stroll. Um, and they're now one point behind Aston Martin. So as I kind of said, I will pat myself on the back a little here, but I think Mercedes are going to overtake Aston Martin. You just want to finish your point. Yeah. As I, as I was saying, and just to kind of clean it up a little bit, the reason you got Sergio Perez and Max Verstappen and, and they're, you talk about the Red Bull car being the fastest car, whatever. They're two great drivers who push each other. They're constantly fighting for one and two. When you have your best driver not being pushed by a middle-of-the-pack driver, it can affect the team in in ways that might not be like completely evident. So I think next year might be the deciding year for Lance Stroll. We'll see. As long as his dad owns the team, I I just find it hard to believe he's going to kick his son off. But you never know. Well, there's a couple zeros behind the <laughs> behind the way you position in this uh, yeah in this race that might weigh more heavily than your feelings for your right. son. It's all about money, for sure. Uh, this Sunday, Barcelona. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's what's happening. Max Verstappen will probably win. Um, but another opportunity to see some some racing. A lot of uh, motorsport happening. Spain, right? Yeah, Barcelona. Artha, Barcelona. Barcelona. Yeah. So. Should be that. interesting. We've got some IndyCar in Detroit. We've got all kinds of stuff. So, yep. NASCAR's at uh, St. Louis Worldwide Technology Raceway or whatever. Uh, Ryan Blaney, quick shout out, ended a 50 something race winless streak for Penske. Penske sweeped the Coke 600 and Indy 500. So I would say that's a pretty good weekend for Roger. Uh, Bubba Wallace, P4. uh, Playoff swept. He swept the Coke 600 and Indy 500. Thank you, producer. Uh, Bubba Wallace finished fourth. If the playoff started today, he's in. So pretty happy with that. Uh, So, yeah. Lots of stuff happening. Also, Scottish Cup final, Celtic versus Inverness, Cali Thistle, Saturday at 12.30 p.m. Eastern. And the FA Cup final, which is just the English equivalent, Manchester City versus Manchester United, yeah, I believe is at 10 a.m. Eastern. So we'll we'll talk about both of those as well next time out. So, All right. Well, let's get going. Four executive producers 
Richard Tanaka, Bobby Callahan, James Hill. And let's reintroduce ourselves. I'm Bob Lucius. I'm Garrett Lucius. I'm Bailey Lucius. This has been Tackling the Chicane. Copyright 2023. We'll see you next time. The new moon hangs and all its fragrance from the